and welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast with the pop culture core. Uh, today we are answering the bloody stupid question, why is Spectrum not a learning organisation? So, answering that, we have myself, hello, hello, ma, I'm Mike, uh, I am uh, your host, I'm a learning designer with the Open University, I am a man with a microphone possibly too close to his nose, let's just move that a little bit. And I'm also imposter syndrome, not just incarnate, but wrapped in bacon. Um, and joined as ever by my capable co-host. I'm Mark Childs. I'm a learning designer at Durham University and a PhD in education. And I'm Sheila Weber. I'm a senior lecturer in the information school at the University of Sheffield. And it says on my Twitter that I am passionate about information literacy. How, how passionate are you about information literacy? Absolutely. Uh, I cannot express how passionate I am about information literacy. <laughs> if you, could, if you could only have information literacy or biscuits, but not both for the rest of your life, which would it be? <laughs> now, it would be information literacy, but if you'd said information literacy or chocolate, um, I'm afraid it would be chocolate. That's, that's understandable. I think if we'd asked Claire, it was like chocolate or air, she'd be like, yeah, chocolate. So, um, our question, could... Fin oh, no, that's the last episode. <laughs> I'll just scroll down. <laughs> I have to move this somewhere else in my document. Oh, dear. Um, um. Okay. Uh, so, our question, why is Spectrum not a learning organisation? Spectrum, uh, of Captain Scarlet fame, break that apart in the first part of our show. Part one, the question. Okay, so, uh, Spectrum, i.e. Captain Scarlet, and learning organisations. Uh, should we tackle Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons first? Yeah, yes, okay, yeah, sure. That. Cool. Um, so... Captain Scarlet and Mr. Ons, a Super Mario Nation program, uh, sort of TV show. I'm not going to say a kid's show, actually quite mature. Started... Pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. Um, some of them end up with a lot of people, well, every episode ends up with people dead, but sometimes a lot of people yeah. are dead, including some main <clears throat> characters. Well, more often than not, Captain Scarlet himself, well, but not dead because he's indestructible. So yeah, Captain Scarlet and Mr. Ons, a quick plot synopsis. Basically, well, it is, oh, Mark? I was going to do the intro from the TV show. From yeah. the oh, TV do show. it, do it. Oh, do, okay. yes, yes. The Mysterons, sworn enemies of Earth, possessing the power to recreate an exact likeness of an object or person. But first, they must destroy. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. <laughs> I need to find that theme, because it's like... And what was great was they'd intercut between that and the next scene. Yes. So you'd have dum, and it would be the next scene. And then dum, and it would go back to the previous one. Oh. Dum, dum, and then switch between them. And then you're into, because it's an odd number, you'd then be into the uh, the next one. And that, I've never seen any other TV show that does a transition that dramatically. It's brilliant. It's really clever. Every element of the show is just so perfect. It's like, it's the near uh. future. Everybody's got like rocket cars and things. Well, super cool. The the cruiser, the little red cruiser with the little fin, I thought was just the coolest thing ever. It had the angels, who were the triumvirate of fighter jets used to go around. Angel 1, Angel 3, uh, at Spectrum, which was kind uh. of the uh, the global organization. It was sort of the, uh, the world government's military arm charged with protecting world police. Uh, police peace protected as well, the first line in the fight against the Mysterons, who... Quick bit of backstory, quick spoiler. We we started a war with them. We started it. Captain Black and uh, Captain Brown just unprovoked attack on the Mysterons at Mars. Yes, the, the, the Mysterons said, we must examine them more closely. And then some kind of plastic bottle top or something kind of moved around and poked. 
And immediately our heroes said, they're hostile, let them have it. And that was that. Was that. I remember that's it. Yeah, and then, yeah. they, then, then the Mistrons decided, right, that's it, we're going we're gonna to wipe out all life on Earth, justifiably. Because have you seen it yes. recently? It's oh, <laughs> terrible. Well, are they not? Are they trying to wipe everyone out? Or are they just really trolling us? Because, I mean, they they have got the power to just kill anybody they want, but they don't. They just kill them, retrometabolize them, and then so they've got a Mistron agent, and then muck about with us. They call it a war of nerves all the way through, but they have the power to just wipe us out at a, a second. So I never get the impression they're trying to kill. They're just trying to, well, bit by they, bit, they... grind us down. They do say we will destroy all life on Earth. Oh, okay. Right. I missed that bit then. <laughs> Maybe they just say that to wind us up so everyone's going, oh, they're going to destroy us all. Yeah, I think you're right, though, because I think the way that they're doing it is getting Earth to destroy itself. Because uh. in each episode, there's there'll be some piece of new miraculous technology that is totally destroyed. The, the tank that's going to destroy all other tanks is destroyed or a major part of a city or the world president. I think they've realised they don't need to do it themselves. It's Actually, it's quite profound. It's yeah. terrible about how humanity destroys itself. Yeah, if, if anything, it's like Jerry Anderson and crew were looking forwards 50-odd years and going, yep, this could tiny, tiny nudge needed and we'll just go over the precipice of cataclysm. Sheila, what's Captain Scarlet to you? So I didn't watch it when I was young. I was probably too old to have seen it when I was young, perhaps, or just missed it. But anyway, in lockdown, my husband and, and I started watching Jerry Anderson series, starting with the first that we could actually get on DVD or Blu-ray. The very first, Twizzle, uh, no longer exists. So I have a memory of Twizzle, but no episodes of Twizzle exist. And so in fact, the first one, actually, I've suddenly forgotten what the name of it is. It's, is it Torchy? It's Torchy the Battery Boy. Torchy, Torchy the Battery Boy. An interesting series, but we worked... Then through Four Feather Falls, Supercar, and so forth and so on. And so it, we got to Captain Scarlet and the Mistrons. And I must say, it's not my favourite of the series. And it's one where, particular, the management style, that's that's the generic management style of most of the colonels and commanders and so forth that you get in these series, um, seemed particularly rigid and hierarchical. There seemed to be a particular lack of communication. I possibly might later on compare it with Supercar, which is one of my favourites which has a much less hierarchical, a small team working together and sharing information and experimenting and things. Whereas Spectrum, it just struck me that they, every episode they fail to learn anything <laughs> and they fail to carry it through to the next. They invent they invent a Mistron detector and yeah. then they have to, I mean, I think they must have wished they hadn't because then in most episodes they have to invent a reason why they can't use it. Like, I think it's one, like it, it wouldn't survive in the rocket down to the um, to the planet's surface. That's why we can't use it, <laughs> so that we can still use the plot point of someone being replaced by a Mister On, basically. Yeah, I think thinking of the history of the so I watched I rewatched um, a really good documentary on Netflix recently, which was just the history of uh, Super Marionation, which was from sort of from start to finish of of Jerry Anderson's work. And I don't so I think the earliest ones I watched were Stingray. A Fireball XL5, which was Pucker and Thunderbirds. And for me, Thunderbirds is just mwah, chef's kiss, the absolute pinnacle uh. of Super Mario Nation. I think I agree with you in that Captain yes. Scarlet and Mistron maybe isn't the best. And I wonder if it's because they were doing this real sort of push towards seriousness and realism. And I think it really starts rubbing up against kind of the, you know, just the movement of the marionettes and just yes. kind of how abstract things are with the marionettes. I think it's, it's almost done like Uncanny Valley. 
they had the smaller, more proportional heads, mm. but they seemed to have less character. Well, I mean, I know they were kind of the the extra characters were literally interchangeable, but because they just carved different bits on the head, kind of put different things on the, the heads of the same puppet. But even the main characters don't seem so distinctive. Yeah, yeah it was much less. I felt as a lot less. I don't want to say heart and soul because that's uh, that's a very say yes to the dress kind of uh, comment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it had felt like it had more um, more heart and soul in, in, in the old ones. In the documentary, they were talking about um, how kind of after Thunderbirds, it sort of felt like the team were going through the motions a bit. Yes. Well, also Thunderbirds were, were hour long episodes, and uh. so you could get into. I mean, if you look at the writing for those, the way the stories were constructed. Okay, there's there's the maybe slight racism of the hood, but. Um, you know, if it, apart from that, and you have to ignore the fact they're puppets, but they still stand up uh, as storylines. You go back to them and you think, yes. actually, this hasn't really... Yes, I think... The actual... Yeah, really. haven't dated in that sort of way, really. Oh, and the effects still look great. It still looks so much uh, better than a lot of modern CG. Oh, the vehicle designs are gorgeous. The Everything vehicle on. design is is something that stands out. I mean, even now, I would look at something and go, oh, my God, that's so Jerry Anderson. But this isn't about Thunderbirds, which we also love. No. I'm, I'm guessing we feel probably need we need to do something on Thunderbirds at some point. I'm, yeah. I'm tasting that we need to do something on Thunderbirds soon. So that's Captain Scarlet and Mistrons. By the way, Mistrons are dicks, if, if you hadn't picked up on this point. And they're like alien dicks who look like two torchlights. Uh-huh. And they've got a cool voice. And in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll apply it to Mark's introduction earlier. Um, <laughs> okay. and, and there are those circles, those circles of light so whenever big. they're speaking mysteriously to all earthmen it moves or when they've dis- they've killed someone uh. and they're going to recreate them yeah i don't uh. think they might actually them. be like just two misterons and they're quite lazy <laughs> maybe that's why maybe that's the pace maybe that's why they've got to kind of act in such you know restricted <laughs> I, I ways got, i guess they're ai or something are they or are they just the computer machines left over from the martian civilization or the non-corporeal or, or something we never really get beings. i think that i think they're actually I suppose it's a, a signal of my relationship to Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. I, I think the Mysterons have have a good case, <laughs> and uh, to be yes, um, I don't annoyed. I've, so yeah. I'm not unsympathetic towards the Mysterons. No. <laughs> so, um, learning organisation. Who wants to have a bash at this? I've got a couple of notes on it. Um, but yeah, who would who would like to uh, to have a bash at saying sort of defining what a learning organisation is in this context? So I actually at one point in my past talked something about learning organizations as part of an information management module. Um, so I'm kind of dredging things up and then I did a bit of Googling. Um, so it was very fashionable in the 1990s. And I think it was all part of the the influence of um, of knowledge management and, and thinking about why Japanese companies were successful and um, communities of practice and all those kinds of ideas coming along. And... Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Peter Seng, Senge or Seng, the fifth discipline. I think that was a kind of landmark work. And one thing I pulled out was um, an article by David Garvin, Amy Edmondson and Francesca Gino. And Garvin in particular had written about learning organisation quite a lot, which I then outlined a framework. So having said that, the idea is basically that an organisation should be capable of stimulating learning from kind of the learning of the individuals within it, that people shouldn't just be learning by themselves, but they, they sh- the whole organisation should be developing and learning. And part of this was actually creating the structures and the organisational culture, which enabled people to learn, but also share their learning and make 
more out of the kind of collective learning so that the organisation was adapting and learning. And so there, uh, and there were three pillars of that, um, supporting learning environment, uh, a concrete process, oh, sorry, concrete learning process and practices and leadership that reinforces learning. There's oh. been kind of like the three foundational pillars, which a load of stuff kind of stems from, but those being kind of the th three pillars that support a learning organisation being a learning organisation. And I think the opposite of a learning organisation is where things happen in the organisation, people make mistakes and they're perhaps, they're, but they're shouted down, people are afraid to own up to their mistakes um, and people never reflect on why something's gone well or gone badly. So there's no learning shared. A gurning organisation. <laughs> Sorry, that's the well, best I could do. Mark, excuse me, sensible. I mean, yes, I suppose one of the problems is that failures aren't valued and recognised and they get hidden. But I think one of the, you know, even most universities, very, it's rare for even a university, which is about teaching and learning, to be a learning organisation because so often they're not learning from things that have gone on. And it's not, it's, it's not necessarily always an active suppression. It's that to share that expertise to, I don't know, what's one attempt that might be to populate a resource bank with cases or something that everybody else can look at. They never take off because nobody's got the time. <laughs> you know I mean, people aren't learning because they're trying to suppress stuff necessarily. They're learning because actually putting the time in to share, disseminate information, to look at what's been disseminated, to have the mechanism for creating a repository or creating those those places where people can sort of sit and learn from each other. There's just that's enormously well, that's not enormously research and resource intensive, but it requires more resources than most universities have when they're already pushed for time and you know space to to do the basics to actually make the mistakes in the first place, let alone learn from them. So I think that's a part. I think that's a bigger barrier to learning than than anything else. And it's also when it fits in with knowledge management because knowledge management has the idea that we're trying to explicitly capture information that is expressed, but you're also trying to get people to um, express their uh, what's implicit and their tacit knowledge um, and uh. then be able to combine the different kinds of knowledge so that you make better knowledge and more knowledge and then also finding a way of documenting that so people can actually find out what's happened to this knowledge and retrieve it when they need to to combine it to meet different problem situations. I used to go out with somebody who worked for a knowledge management centre at uh, uh, Midlands University. I won't name which one. And I was trying to get in touch with her one day and I went asked about the knowledge man management unit. And I got put through to the wrong one. And there were two knowledge management units and neither one knew the other one existed. Amazing. That's... <laughs> oh, that's so... Oh, I love that. So, yeah, so, you know, it's about applying those principles to your own practice is, is actually extraordinarily difficult. I see, that, that's the thing, though. So when I was reading about this, I guess something that grabbed me, particularly, I think, in the benefits and the justification, well, benefits and the reasons why you would want to be a learning organization were less maybe about the individual and more about the organization itself seen as a kind of gestalt entity. So you, you do you, it's something that benefits the organization as a, as a unique thing as opposed to perhaps sort of the individuals in it. i think the individuals the individuals within it do benefit and i think the individuals benefit because that's a nice sort of type of organization to work in if you're not trying to cover up your mistakes all the time if people are sh willing to share with you their experience um 
And so it's a more supportive environment um, and it should be a more productive environment. Certainly I'd prefer. Yeah. So thinking actually of those things that do support a learning organization being a learning organization. So these were the, the three key pillars. So the first one was um, a supporting learning environment. So creating an environment that actively supports. And that's not just kind of like, you know, having space for it, but having kind of like, you know, time for it, having resource for that. Was there anything else that helped create a supporting learning environment that you felt was significant? I, I would say one of the key uh, things is actually having people whose job it is to do that. Uh, and actually it's defined part of the job. I mean, that's one of, there are downsides to be a learning designer, as I'm sure Michael will confirm. But one of the great things one of, is that we are possibly the people who are the support network that, that, in, that generates that learning within the organization. We don't necessarily generate the learning. This is what, but what we do is we see what everybody does because we work with most people across the university at some point or most faculties, most departments. We see some of the innovative practice that's going on there. And then the next time we meet somebody, we're going, oh, you know, engineering, they're doing all this really interesting stuff with assessment. And they go, really? Oh, we, we could try that. And so although they don't have the time individually to share and disseminate and grow with all the new stuff that's going on, we're in that position where we can provide that, that interconnection with the little neurons kicking between the different sort of bits of the body or whatever. No, that's a bad metaphor because that's implying we're doing the thinking and they're not. But what we're doing is we're passing the information around. And I don't, I think... We're the electrical signal. That works. Yes, we're the little synapse or whatever. Yes. So, and um, we're little currents running around. Um, and between the little neurons. <laughs> and and, and uh, I'd also argue for librarians and information yes. managers for having a similar role. No. Um, because they're often seen as helpful and neutral people. And obviously they've got a role in actually helping people to find and organize important information. Um, and they have to have relationships with all different parts of the organization. So I think yeah. part, a, a signal of a learning organization is that it would have, as you said, it would have learning developers. It would actually have professional staff with uh, an information center or a knowledge management center or a library or whatever it happens to be called today. But professionals whose whose job it is to 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 make those connections and help the kind of I think one of the reasons why you need people to do this as well is not only that people don't have the time to do it if they've got a regular job, it's that there is no form of communication that you can come up with which will in and you can ensure that everyone else is gonna see. So you could send out emails, not everybody reads the emails, so you can't tell people through that. You could have a seminar, people can't can't turn up to the seminar. Um you could put it all in a repository in SharePoint and no one will ever look at it because nobody can ever find anything in SharePoint. So <laughs> I think that's the problem is that you actually have to have people who go and have those conversations, who promote the idea that there's this information around and, you know, and trundles around to, you know, and making it uh, and saying it uh, kind of one-to-one -one or like to groups. And that's, I think that's another essential issue with the whole learning organization is you know, the lack of a systematic platform for making sure everybody reads what everybody else has written. And that's kind of why you'd, you, you, you know, they fall down. I think that's the second or the third pillar expressed though, isn't it? Because it's that concrete learning process and practices. I mean, you've got people whose job it is and who are responsible for those processes and practices. I think that's, that's that expressed there. And also, I suppose, the third pillar, leadership that reinforces learning. So you've got to somebody somewhere has to have valued learning as an organization enough 
to have gone, do you know what? We're actually going to put a little bit of the budget that we might have spent on lavish, mm -hmm. I don't know, let's say vice chancellor salaries or something, and mm -hmm. we're going to spend it on um, boots on the ground instead. And that's it's 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 building that commitment to it um, in the form of people, time, and mm -hmm. giving those people the space and freedom, um, the space and agency, the space and agency to define and implement those processes and practices within your organization. Basically, give your learning designers a blank check and carte blanche to do whatever they want. <laughs> and just, yeah, be, just flourish. But you'll be like, whoa, my organization was never this good before. Why is it so cool now? And you'll be like, oh, learning designers, we just gave them the checkbook. Banging. Slap. Yeah, although did we have a conversation earlier this week that what we really wanted to do was stay at home and write the book? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay well, <laughs> so maybe a carte blanche necessarily isn't... Uh, well, no. <laughs> okay, give, give, your, give your social um, learning designers who like people a blank check, a book, a gun and a badge, and Mark and I will just take a Mark and I will just take a salary and we'll just sit there and quietly potter away on a book for a while. Yeah, does that does that sound does that sound mm. right? I mean, Sheila, is there anything else you feel we're huh. not covered with regards to what what a learning organization is, what makes a learning organization I, I a learning organization? Also being a bit cynical that there mm -hmm. are quite a lot of organizations who have a lot of uh, policy statements and slogans um that would proclaim them. To be learning organisations, or they may not use that word, but it's kind of having a lot of the the buzzwords that are in that we've been talking about, um, and the reality is is somewhat different. So it's 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 not just putting the kind of the tick boxes out there; it's actually living it and really listening to staff and really giving them freedom to make mistakes rather than just saying that that's what you're going to oh, do. I like that. It's like, how are you a learning organisation? If the response is, why don't you check our policy statement? That's the wrong answer. It should be, hey, why don't you look at what we do? You should be able to ask anyone in the organisation and more or less, I think there's always going to be all few people who are never satisfied <laughs> with anything. I'll just write the sandwiches. But, I mean, <laughs> the answer should be, ask anyone of my staff and they'll kind of give you an answer. If it's really a learning organisation, I think. Yeah, right on. Mark, you look like you sat up like you, you had a... No, no, no. I just thought I ought to... <laughs> no, I'm just sitting up. I could see <laughs> rabbits in the in the, in my garden. There's rabbit bouncing oh. in my garden. Yeah, that's cute. Anyway, that's sorry. A... <laughs> sorry, it's because you, you sat up with such alacrity that I was like, Mark's had a fabulous idea, not Mark's <laughs> no. seen a cute bunny, which wasn't quite what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've. I think we've... Uh, defined uh, Captain Scarlet and Mysterons and Spectrum and uh, what a learning organisation is. Uh, let's bring the Tway to Guadalajara. Let's bring the two together um, in the yes. second part of our show where we answer our question. Part two. The answer. So, why is Spectrum not a learning organisation? Well, I think it's it's pretty easy to list some of the ways in which it's learning, not a le So, one thing is that they that people are not encouraged to make mistakes. So I can remember one episode where Captain Scarlet had actually saved the colonel from certain deaths, but he'd not gone by the rules. And at the end of it, the colonel says, oh, 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 I'm going to sentence you to death. And so um, Lieutenant Green is, is getting a bit frightened here. Um, and then says, oh, 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 but of course I can't do that because even if I do kill you, come back to life. But, you know. Naughty boy, you mustn't disobey the rules again, even though you've saved my life. Uh, and so there doesn't seem any leeway um, if people make mistakes, as inevitably happen, because they, they seem to have a policy of not testing new technology properly before they put important people <laughs> in it. <laughs> you, you get kind of shouted down. And also it's very 
it's extremely compartmentalized. And the angels have their own restroom in which they they don't seem to talk to each other and share experience. Or oh, sorry, for our, for our American listeners, by the way, this is like a like their own lounge as opposed to their, their own, own bathroom. Lounge. Yes, <laughs> yes. A, a room in which they rest, perhaps, not a room in which they. Perhaps all sorts of um, fraternising goes on where we don't see it. They share Good learning organisations have shared cars. Yes, <laughs> but they just sit around leafing through magazines. One can't see what they're in them, but but it, it looks like they they could be kind of instruction manuals or something. They're they're, they're trying to improve, but it looks like they're just sitting around waiting. One of them's always in one of the planes. Um, there's always got to be two kind of sitting ready to, to zoom up and the other two get time off. And it seems to me they don't have any time to have a life either. They just sit kind of static, um, understandably because they're puppets. But I mean, they, they, <laughs> they don't seem very gameplay. And the people like Captain Scarlet also have a separate lounge in which similarly they just, they don't even have magazines. They just seem to sit there kind of staring into space and waiting for someone to come and ask them to do something urgently. <laughs> and Colonel White is, is kind of wedged behind his huge desk. I mean, talk about an authority, kind of symbol of authority. And he very occasionally, when, there's one episode that I was looking at recently um, where he actually comes down to the lounge where the, the captains hang out. So they kind of almost kind of jump back in surprise that he's moved. And poor Lieutenant Green is just stuck to his chair, kind of zooming up and down. So they're they're very rigidly um, divided, and, and at the end of a, an incident, they don't seem to have any constructive discussion of what's happened and what can be done better. There was uh, another one I was watching where, in fact, Colonel White at the end said, well, we've learnt from this, but what he then said, we've learnt that it's a long journey to defeat the Mysterons. It wasn't kind of, what have we learnt from the fact that something's just been destroyed, a lot of technology has just been destroyed and also a few people. It was just, oh, well, we've learned that we've got to beat them even harder. So it seems to me there's a lot of things there that don't tick the boxes. All the thi- the reason, one of the reasons, another reason why it's not a learning organisation is that not only do they need, they, they fail to learn from what's gone on before, but also they seem to have a complete knowledge of everything they need to do in order to do their jobs. You know, they know how to drive all of the cars. They know how to drive oh, yeah. the SPV. Yeah, they yes. know how to drive the, what's it called, the M- the maximum security vehicle. You know, um, they know that actually it faces back. I mean, the amazing thing, the way it faces backwards and they have a little screen yes. to show them what's at the front, which is a genius idea. And then a this guy mo- on YouTube recreated that recently, by the oh, way, just really? to see how hard it would be to drive. And it's I, hilarious. Because it must be, because all, all, all of your proprioception stuff about movement and things and about the way that the centrifugal force is working would be completely off, I'd have thought. Appa- apparently, be... it's you get used to it very quickly oh, until okay. you see that you're going backwards. Like As soon as you even glance away from the screen, that's it, you're screwed. Oh, well, they, they don't have windows <laughs> at the side, do they? The, the, yeah. the SPV, they can only see the screen, so that's not so bad. But, um, yeah, and this Moonbug thing, they all know how to fly it. And, you know, they, none and... of them have to, to have to learn anything. To go, to, to drop the kayfabe momentarily... It is a TV show, and it's a TV show which actually has to be presented. That's no, no. never stopped us before, Mark. But no, please no, carry no. On. But <laughs> I, I, we, I have done a thing about you know how the role of kayfabe in Pedagodzilla and how important it is. But I think one of the issues is that you know because it's these back in the back in the sixties and the seventies, TV episodes had to be shown in any order because you could never there'd be in syndication, they'd be stripped. You never know which way, which order they were going to be shown in. I mean, when I saw the 
Captain Scarlet, the new ones, they'd split them into two little episodes and stick them on amongst some big Saturday morning program. There's no way you could even find the second half of the same show, let alone the next show. So you can't learn. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's, if you actually had them learning, it would completely disrupt everything they tried to do. Uh, which I think, which I'm bringing up, I'm only bringing up because that actually has some kind of parallels with H-H-E in that I think <laughs> if you then did learn in about innovative practice constantly and keep on learning which things worked and which things didn't and shared that absolutely effectively across the whole university, it would be so disruptive <laughs> that yeah. maybe... Maybe it would just uh, it would just be too difficult for most people to contend with, and so maybe there's actually a disincentive to learn because of the structure. In the same way, there's disincentive for Spectrum to learn. That is such a great analogy, though, Mark. Just having like producing he content as like a Saturday morning episodic kind of <laughs> any order. Yeah, you can, like yeah, you look at it from the '60s and looking at it from the like six seasons later. And it actually has to be interchangeable, otherwise it doesn't make any sort of sense, you know. Yeah, when it comes to joined up thinking, we're basically at Hanna-Barbera level from, like, the <laughs> early 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very quickly, throwing my one thing, mm. because they never yes, learn. Yes. They don't seem to remember that Captain Scarlet's indestructible. The bullet stuff, like, <laughs> stra just stand behind Captain Scarlet, strap him to you. Yes. Lord above, they're always like, oh, no, Captain Scarlet's dead. Like, oh, no, he's not. It's like, come on now, folks, come on. Like, you, we, we know now. We've all heard the end theme, indestructible Captain Scarlet. Like, if anything, like, they should be using him on drill bits or something to mine into mountings because he's just, yeah, anyway, grumble. There you go, there's mine. Sorry, mind if I have a bash at trying to sort of summarise our response yeah, to the question? Yeah, sure, go oh, ahead. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, so why is Spectrum not a learning organisation? Well, if we look at those, uh, those pillars we discussed earlier, so supporting learning environment, no, there's not got a supportive learning environment at all. Everybody's, uh, there's no kind of real cross-pollination. Uh, everybody is uh, sequestered off in their own little compartments. And on the second pillar, concrete learning process and practices, there is no learning process and practice. If you're not on a mission, you're reading a magazine, or you're sitting there staring blankly in the space, thinking official thoughts. And even if you have gone on a mission, there's no kind of reflective process at all, unless it's, cool, those mistrons, eh? Right old bunch of rotters they are. So there's no uh, process to, uh, to actually learn on uh, either the successes or the failures that Spectrum have uh, engaged in. And a third pillar, leadership that reinforces learning. Oh, no, they do not. So you make a mistake. It's, it's your ass on the line. Damn it. Damn it, Captain Scarlet. You're a loose cannon. Saving my life. If you weren't invincible, I'd do a murder on you. It's just, yeah, that's not the feedback you'd want to hear from my manager at all. And then the leadership themselves sit in their ivory tower, very rarely deigning to come down and, you know, either, either share their wisdom, share their knowledge, or get an understanding of what's happening down at the shop floor. So in short, Spectrum is not a learning organisation. Sorry, blather. Cool. Does that sound like it's summarised everything? Uh. Well, Ooh, shall we move yes. on then to perhaps our top tips? Okay. Cool. Okay, let's take what we've learned and bring it into our tips for your own practice. Part three. Practical tips. Okay, so tips for own practice. What are people's top tips? What are people's top learning organization tips? Okay, so I think one of the things is have people whose job it is to do for part of their role, doesn't have to be all of it, but part of their job is just to go off and talk to other people. So if you've got, I don't know, Destiny, Harmony and Rhapsody going off, zooming around in their spaceship, in their little aircraft, then you can have um, 
Melody and I can't remember which one I haven't covered yet. <laughs> but Melody and the other one. Um, Crockery. Um, um, symphony? Symphony. Oh, yes, I don't symphony? think I was, Yes, I didn't say symphony. Yes, so symphony. Going around and just having a chat saying, well, you know, what happened on that last mission? And, oh, you know, when Captain Blue did this, then this happened. And, oh, yeah, you know, Captain Oka. Oh, you know, excuse me, what they got up to. <laughs> Captain Oka, <Okra>, that jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Handsy oh, Captain Oka. But Captain, Captain Oka. It was the in, 60s. One of the reasons why, yeah, it was a different time. Captain Oka in the CGI re <laughs> remake is awesome. She's um, she's sort of a, an Irish biker. Uh, oh, so who, is that an actual captain? Huh? I thought you made that up. No, Cap no, no that's Captain Oka that's... is one of the key mem we key characters. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's such a specific colour. Well, they all are. Scarlet's yes. quite, you know. <laughs> it's like a... <laughs> Dr. Fawn. Dr. Don't Fawn, Dr. yeah. Dr. Fawn. Yeah. And, uh, hey, yeah. Which is his form. And uh, Anna's just painted the um, uh, the uh, the banisters in their house, Drowsy Iris, and that would make a that would make a brilliant Captain, Captain Drowsy, Drowsy Iris. Iris. Yes. God, imagine imagine being the one guy in Spectrum with a lazy eye, and then then be like, "So you're Captain Drowsy Iris?" I'm like, "Really, really?" So you've been um, right at HR. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I think you know having those sorts of roles really does make a difference giving people the time and the space to talk to them kind of i mean one place where they do learn a bit like that is on the next generation because that's what deanna troy is doing and she's wandering around and i'm okay maybe at first in a very annoying patronizing way but you know as as the time passes over season by season i think she does form quite a, an important part in making a cohesive unit there so that's quite somebody likes you know those sorts of roles really help and secondly i think have an overall arc in mind so that it you do are driven to changing things bit by bit because if you are just if you're in the incentive is to just be you know interchangeable from one season to the next then then there's a real barrier to change whereas actually if you've got to have an overarching narrative to what to um some sort of conclusion at some point or at least some sort of you know resolution to that plot line that's be, that's evolving then then everybody's then there's a there's a point a bit to learning about what's gone on and building on what's gone before. And I think that's perhaps another reason why Spectrum and H in general might not be moving that further forward that quickly. Those are my two tips. Pretty beefy tips. Like them. Be more breaking bad, be less Hanna Barbera, less Scooby Doo. <laughs> well, I mean but the, yeah, I'm what's gonna post modern I'm, story arc. I <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm going to put in my vote here for uh, Mystery Incorporated, which has the strongest uh, two-season arc of any TV show, and that's Hannah Barbera. So, you know, Scooby-Doo, Mystery Incorporated. I'm trying to think of a... The problem is actually down now trying to think of a bad Hannah Barbera show, and I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, they are all one and done, though, aren't they? On <laughs> no, the but they are all just utterly wonderful. You know, I rewatched all of Wacky Races not so long ago. Oh, really? Oh my there's God. not even that much of it, but it was just... It was a genuine delight. Uh it works it's, so well. It's the one with Muttley. Yes. Muttley. Yeah. Sheila, how about you? What are your top tips? I suppose perhaps it's as a as an employee working out whether it's important to work in a learning organisation. Is that something that's um, important to you? And reflect if, if you really are fed up as one might be. If I was one of the angels kind of sitting there, I might be reflecting on why. Um, I hated my life, and <laughs> I think one of the things could be that Spectrum is not a learning organisation, so perhaps I need to work somewhere which is actually going to enable me to kind of talk to the captains more freely and exchange 
tips and knowledge and develop myself. Perhaps I perhaps I want to be a different kind of fighter pilot, um, which uh, there seems to be no no possibility of change in the rules roles that they have. No kind of pro- promotion or sideways moves. Mm. I really wanted to be a captain. Um, I think in the the puppet series certainly that's that is a brilliant option. So I think I mean, it could be something when you're looking around for jobs, kind of thinking. Is this a learning organisation? Because it's really important to me that I like sharing my expertise and I like learning from others, which is really strong. Um, it varies from person to person, but that's like kind of really quite a strong motivation for some people. Right. Um, is this going to be an organisation where that's going to be get slapped down and or, or at the worst seen as some kind of whimsical thing that you're allowed to do, but it's it's seen as a bit counterproductive? Yeah, it's interesting that talking about them being slapped down because I did actually have a conversation with a colleague uh, recently in uh, in another team. That would be my top tip would be if you're a leader of an organization um, to put your toothbrush down, take a good hard look at yourself in the bathroom mirror, spit out the toothpaste. Get from behind your big desk. Yeah, get from behind your big yes. desk where you're brushing your teeth in front of them. It's because you've got a big desk in the bathroom as well. Oh, brushing okay. your teeth. Yeah. Um, spit spit it into the sink, then get it on the big buttons and just, yeah, look, look yourself hard dead in the eye and say, am I creating a learning organization? Am I like, am I allowing, am I facilitating, am I encouraging enabling because if not i don't know i feel like there's a lot of places which stagnate and then ultimately die uh-huh. i think that's that's the risk or learning organizations it's not just to benefit and kind of develop your staff but it's also ways that allow you to develop and innovate within an organization if you're not doing that and you're static then you're either relying on what you're doing never needing to change ever and the environment and the context in which you do it never needing to change ever or you're quite happy to just sort of gradually peter out and fade into irrelevance and eventually um, close your doors. Mm. Drift to the and ground. Perhaps, perhaps the Mysterons, they might even be in league with some people on Earth who'd realise that the thing that's holding Earth back is actually Spectrum. That Spectrum is so enamoured of its own mission to save the Earth that they've become counterproductive and oh, um, wow. unable to change. Um, that's such a good and so the mis- <laughs> yeah. um And so... Because there's one towards the end where it's it ends up with being, but this was all a dream. Oh, yeah. But the one where the cloud base is actually um, shot out of the sky mm. um, and everyone dies. But perhaps there'd be if I was one of the Earth people, perhaps I might think, well, actually, that would be a good that would be a good solution for the Earth because. <laughs> They're not really competent. They don't know what the hell they're doing. And they have all these huge weapons and they're not afraid to use them. This is one of the angels having that dream, isn't it? Well, she's on a desert island yes. or something. So, yes. yeah, obviously she's she's got some repressed rage there. Yeah, this is all coming together now. This is a really interesting meta-narrative. This is my, I think this is my new favourite thing, is to have other people tell me meta-narratives for Jerry Anderson shows and then to re-watch <laughs> them with that in mind. That's going to be my new favourite... Uh, thing like i had a very good one for joe 90 the other day and i can't remember it oh well mine <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. mine is, i mean i just wanted to them to do a, a, a kind of sequel because there's this guy in his who's nine yes. and he's subjected to these enormously dreadful i mean psychological abuse he's trained yes. up to he kills people you know he's a fighter pilot he's putting deaths in jeopardy every nearly every week and then i think by the end of the, the one of the series the, the different skills start bleeding into each other, so he's not actually losing them all bit by bit. If this, you know, this was actually a kid, he'd be taken away by social services, and, you know, and as an adult, he'd be reliving all his PTSD, and it's 
that would make a fascinating story in and, itself. And the psychologically unstable men who are kind of directing all this yeah. would be banged to rights. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Also, what would that do to you from like a neurological perspective? Because it's what's it overwriting? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's just like, oh, Joe, how, how was it when you were nine? He was like, I can't remember. I can, yeah. I can like diffuse a bomb, but I can't tell you who my parents are. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> um, or maybe just like, maybe one day they just put one too many skills in and he forgets language. Yeah. Oh, oh man. So bleak. Oh, these meta... Mm. Uh, if you've got a spicy meta-narrative for a, a Jerry Anderson show, send it to us on Twitter and we'll uh, we'll enjoy <laughs> nightmarishly visualizing it alongside some beautiful children's entertainment TV. Cool. Anything else we want to do before we want to wrap up? No, that's it, I think. Awesome. Um, Sheila, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, well, I suppose look, there is my awesome website. I run the Information Literacy weblog, so you just have to Google Information Literacy blog and it comes to the top, which I've been doing since 2005 and my objective is to have 300 postings every year, which I achieve. Holy moly! Wow, oh um, my God. And I've had 3 million hits, which considering it's quite, it's, so it's, it's about, it's news and stuff about Information Literacy. Yeah. Awesome. Sheila, thank you so much again for joining us and for taking us through through another wonderful episode you basically created two episodes for us um and i've just i've really enjoyed it i feel like i've learned a lot which is always a nice thing to oh, come away with i feel like i've it's like thank you for inviting me into your podcast i really enjoyed it i would love for you to join us again if you'd be oh. up for it oh, oh yes please <laughs> so thank you very very much for listening you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite apps feeds itunes and at our website pedagodzilla.com you can also follow us and get in touch via twitter i am at pedagodzilla i'm at mark childs and I'm at Shiro Yoshikawa. If you've enjoyed the episode, and we hope you did. <laughs> yes. Why not train some rabbits to jump around yes. in, in the shape of the Earl? And then when Google Maps takes a photograph of your backyard garden, or the fields outside your back garden, then it will appear on Google Maps and people go, oh, that's very funny. Those rabbits have all jumped into a particular shape with spelling out letters that say pedicodzilla.com. And then people will be on Google Maps and then everyone can find the Earl and they can all enjoy these episodes. Chef's kiss, Mark. Just <laughs> Inspired it. by all the rabbits running around. There's lots of them now. There's about four or five of them all jumping around. It's really cute. Do we need to contact Mary Jacob. It's like Night of the Lupus happening to you right now. <laughs> it might be. Oh, my God. <laughs> we love you lots and we'll see you next time on Pedagogzilla. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.